Father, we pray that just over each one of our lives, really, as we, we look out over the congregation and we see so many different health issues and struggles and those who are dealing um, with difficulty in their life. And Father, we just pray that each one of us would look to you for our strength and for our comfort each and every day, no matter where we're at, that, that we would just keep our eyes on you as we, as we keep moving forward. And Father, that's one of the reasons why we, we come to your word regularly. We come to your word every day, but then we gather together on Sundays around your word as your people because we want to hear you speak. We want our eyes to be kind of redirected, refocused on you. We want to be led and guided by you as we leave here to go back out into the world. And so, Father, we pray that now as we turn to your word that you would speak to us. And we pray that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us through your word. And Father, we know that there's so many things going on in our minds and in our hearts that can easily distract us from from what you have to say. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us focus and clarity and that any distractions would be pushed off to the side so that we could truly hear you speak into each one of our lives this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. As I mentioned, um, as we work our way through the Gospel of John, we'll eventually take a few breaks because it's going to be a while. <laughs> and, you know, so, and that's okay. And so we're going to take a break for Advent, we'll take a break for Lent, and we'll probably take another break in the middle of next year as we keep going through it. Um, and as we take a break for Advent, um, we're going to be focusing on um, learning how to wait is our Advent um, series, and it's going to be each each message is going to be focused on a different psalm that talks about um, waiting on the Lord. And uh, really, you know, different people talk about what Advent, the season of Advent, is about. Some people say it's about preparing and all of that, but I really like to t spend Advent talking about what it means to wait. Um, preparing is waiting; is part of waiting, but just. Waiting is something that we really don't like to do. Um, and so, but that's really at the core of the Christian life. It's about waiting. The, the season of Advent is looking forward to the coming of Christ. It was the thinking about what it meant to be God's people, waiting for thousands of years for the coming of the Messiah, but also now us as God's people waiting for the Messiah to come again. And we've been waiting thousands of years for the Messiah to come again. What does it mean to wait for Him to come? And so we're going to talk about that by looking at different psalms. And the first one we're looking at today is Psalm 38, which hopefully you'll maybe see in a different light by the end of this message. But at the beginning, it seems like a very dark and sad psalm, um, but it's actually filled with hope. O oh Lord... Do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. 
My back is filled, filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. I'm like a deaf man who cannot hear, like a mute who cannot open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. I'm about to fall. My pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I'm troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. I was thinking about um, my childhood recently. My brother and I, you know, we got together as family over Thanksgiving, and we were talking about all of the crazy things we did as children, things that we would never, ever let our children do. Um, you know, my mom has pictures of me jumping my dirt bike off of cliffs and crazy things. And like, I remember as a kid um, buying this really cheap, junky Walmart snowboard. And I grew up in Montana, and so I would, went off and found cliffs to jump off of with my snowboard. Um, crazy. Eventually, I decided I was going to take up snowboarding and become like a real snowboarder. So I worked all summer, saved up all my money, bought all my gear went snowboarding in the mountains and tried to learn how to snowboard, which basically means just falling down the hill repeatedly. Um, but I had some friends of mine who had been snowboarding longer than me, and so they got really bored being on all of the easy runs all the time with me. And so they thought, as soon as I figured out how to stop and maybe turn a little bit, it was time for me to advance. And so they took me down one intermediate run, and I didn't die and so then they took me to the top of the mountain to the hardest run on the hill. And I just went, because <laughs> that's what I did. And uh, as, after you got up there and got off the lift and there was no turning back and we're strapping our feet into the snowboard, they said, oh yeah, uh, when you start off going down this hill, you go down a logging road, don't fall off the logging road. <laughs> If you fall off the logging road, it's basically like a cliff. You're just going to get hurt really bad. Once you can pass the logging road, it'll be fine. Just don't fall off. I'm like, thanks. I can't do anything but just not fall off. So I got strapped in, started going down the logging road, and I definitely could not turn or stop as well as they thought I could. And I hit a piece of ice in the middle of the road, and it shot me off the road. And I panicked. I didn't know what to do. I fell. I, I couldn't stop. I didn't have time to stop or turn, so I just fell down. Like I tell my kids that when they're learning how to ski. If you don't know what to do, just crash because you stop fairly quickly. So I just crumpled, and I just kept sliding off the road, and I'm like grabbing with my mittens, like, don't go off the road. 
And I felt my feet slide over, my stomach slide over, and the rest of my body go over the edge. Um, and then I stopped. And by God's providence, there was a teeny tree about the size of my thumb growing out of the side, and my snowboard hit it and stopped. And I remember sitting there going, what do I do now? <laughs> if I move too quickly, it's going to break, and I'm going to go you know, tumbling. It wasn't like a cliff, but it was like this, Steve. Um, I'm going to get hurt really bad. That's what my, everybody told me. What should I do? Um, I did get out eventually. But the point is, that moment where I was stuck on the tree, like being held up by this teeny, teeny little tree branch, is really what I feel like the picture of what's happening in Psalm 38. David feels like he's about to fall off the cliff, like he's got nothing left. He, he's weary, he's worn out, he's exhausted. He's like, I've got nothing. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm barely hanging on by a thread. There's like this teeny little tree holding me up from going to complete disaster. What do I do in those moments? And, and, and what's interesting, he tells us in this psalm some of the reasons why he's in that place, why he's so weary and exhausted and burdened and kind of feels like he's at the end of himself. And the first thing he tells us, I think, I think it catches us off guard because I don't think we talk about it very much. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows, God's arrows, have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. And David says one of the reasons he's so weak and weary and exhausted is because God is disciplining him. It's God's heavy hand that's upon him. It's God's arrows that have sunk into him. It's, he feels the wrath of God. He feels the anger of God on him. And that's, he, he just is so exhausted and weary. And uh, that's the, it was right out of the gate, he says, that's why I'm at this place. And I don't, we just don't talk about that very much in the church anymore. We don't talk about the fact that God does still discipline people for their sin. Um, now, just like every other parent disciplines a child for when they do something wrong, God does the same thing for us. And, you know, most of the time when I hear pastors talk about this, they say, well, it doesn't, like, not everything bad in your life is because you've done something bad, right? Because we've seen Job and we know the man born blind. And, we, and that's true, but that doesn't mean that God never disciplines us um, because it actually happens to us. Sometimes, we will feel the discipline of God in our lives. We will feel like he's shooting arrows into us. And we will, like a parent, have you ever had your dad come up to you and put his hand on your shoulder when you did something wrong and you're like, oh, I'm in so much trouble. My dad usually squeezed my neck a little bit. <laughs> like, you messed up, son. Um, sometimes God will do that in, in our lives. And when he does, it feels heavy and weighty, and we feel like it's, it almost feels crushing if we didn't know it was our God who was doing it. And, and the question that comes up in people's minds is, well, why would God do that? Because, I mean, isn't God loving and merciful and gracious? And, and isn't God, like, hasn't God forgiven our sins and cleansed them as far as the east is from the west? I mean, aren't we told that 
There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? All of those things are true. So then why would God come in and and discipline us and put His heavy hand upon us for the sin in our life? Why why would that happen? And the short answer is, and I'm going to show you a passage of Scripture that explains this, is that it's to show us a better way forward. To say, son, daughter, do not do this. This will lead you to destruction. Let me show you a better way. And so Hebrews talks about this. He says, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I just want to stop there. I mean, because that's really important. Because... People sometimes say, well, I'm a child of God. I've forgiven. Why would God discipline me? And this says, that is why he's disciplining you. And if God refused to, to discipline you, it would, because, it would be because he's treating you not as one of his children. But because you are his child, he says, that's not how we live in this house. Let me show you the better way. And he goes on And he says, besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, our parents, for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And the important part to remember in all this, when God comes in and disciplines us, when He disciplines His people, it's not to further our condemnation. That's never what God is doing. He's not coming in just to make you feel condemned and outside of His presence. He's coming in to direct you away from the path of destruction down the path of righteousness and life. And it hurts, right? It feels like he's shooting arrows into you. It feels like his heavy hand is upon your shoulder. It says, no discipline feels good in the moment. But later on, it yields a fruit of righteousness. And so God still disciplines his people because he is training us and teaching us how to live the life he's called us to live. Um, But when he does come and discipline, it's tough and it hurts. And it feels exhausting at times. And so that's one of the reasons why David is exhausted. He gives us another reason right after this. He says, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation, because of God's discipline again. And then he says this, there's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. And so, on the one hand, David feels weak and weary because he has God's discipline upon him. And on the other hand, he feels weak and weary because that's just what sin does. Sin, biblically, always leads toward death and destruction. Sin always sucks the life out of your body. Slowly drains you. And so David says, God's disciplined me. I feel weak and weary because of that. But just because of my sin, there's no health in my bones 
because of my sin. My iniquities have piled up so high that it feels like I'm about to drown under them. My sin is weighing on me and crushing me because that's just the nature of sin. It, 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 It always begins to just pile up on you until you feel crushed by your own sin. And it slowly drains out from you. It's another reason why he's weak and weary. So he's weak and weary because God's discipline on him. He's weak and weary because his own sin is just sucking the life out of him. And then there's one more. He says, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague. My nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. He says, I'll... My closest friends and families, they've seen me in my sin and under the discipline of God, and they've stepped back and said, we're not having anything to do with him. And then as his friends and family step back and say, we're not having anything to do with him, his enemies go, we're going to step in and we're going to have something to do with him. Like We're going to try to do whatever we can to knock this man down. We're going to figure out how to, how to ruin him, how to, how to step on him, how to kick him, how to beat him, how to take his life, he eventually says at some point in this psalm. And so David, I mean, there's a reason why he feels like he's just kind of hanging on by a thread. Because he feels like he's being attacked from all sides, right? He's got heaven coming down at him, God bringing discipline on him. He's got his own heart and his own soul attacking him for the sin that he feels on the inside. His, his friends have abandoned him. His family's coming or his enemies are coming after him and he's suffering under the consequences of, of his own sin. He just feels like a man surrounded, like he's got nowhere to go. And he's weak and he's worn out and he's holding on to this little twig and he just doesn't know where to go in that moment. And the question is, where do you go when, when, you're, when you're feeling the discipline of God on the one hand, when you're, when you're burdened by the consequences of your sin on the other hand, when, when your family and friends have left you and your enemies are attacking you, where do you turn in that moment? And David says, I'm going to turn to my God. He says, oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. He says, Lord, you see me sighing. I know you see me in my struggle and my difficulty. And then I'm going to take all of my longing and I'm going to bring it before you and lay it down at your feet. Um, That's really important for us to get. Um, David didn't feel the discipline of God and then turn away from God and try to go the other direction. David didn't allow the, the burden of his sin to make him turn away from God and say, I'm not worthy to go into God's presence. He didn't feel the wrath of his enemies on him and then turn to go at the enemies and try to take care of it on his own. David said, no, I'm going to turn to my God, the one who's disciplining me, the one who can handle my sin, and the one who can handle my enemies. That's where I'm going to turn. And he's like, I've I've laid it all out before you, God. You've heard it all. You've heard all of my weariness. You've heard all of my weakness. You've heard all of my sorrow, all of my longing, all of my grumblings, all of my pain, all my hurt. It's here, and I'm laying it at your feet, Lord. That's all I've got. And I think the question it brings for us is, like, how do we respond when we find ourselves in those same same positions, because 
Like, I've been in ministry for a while now, and, and, and I, know, I live in the world, so I, I meet people, and I encounter people all the time who find themselves in that same position, and their response is, I'm turning away from God. Like, if God's not going to help me, then I'm going to do it myself. Or I've heard, if God's fine with me hurting and struggling like this, if God's fine with letting me hang from the cliff here, I don't want to have anything to do with that God. I'm going to go figure something else on my own. And so they turn away from God and they go off, try to do it their own. And the reality is, every time I've watched that happen, nothing gets better, does it? It always ends up getting worse and worse and worse. And, and David knows that because David knows that when you turn away from God, you have nothing. David knows the only reason he hasn't fallen off that cliff down into death and destruction is because God's the one who's holding on to him, saying, I'm not letting you go. I might let you hang there for a little bit. You're going to learn a lesson, but I'm not letting you go. And for David to say, I'm letting go of you, God, is going to mean he's going to fall down to death and destruction. So, so why run away from the God who can take care of your problems and your difficulties and your trials. No, you don't run away from Him because of your sin. You run to Him because of your sin. You don't run away from Him because of His discipline. You run to Him because of His discipline. Um, there's this great line by John Calvin I read this week. He said, The reason why the greater part of men derive no profit from complaining grievously in their sorrow is that they direct not their prayers, their prayers and sighs to God. He's saying, you can actually benefit from complaining grievously about your sorrow, but not if you just go about complaining to yourself, like, oh, my life is terrible, this is terrible, and talking to yourself. You can't do anything about your problems. Uh, you, don't, you won't benefit by going out into the world and complaining to everybody else about how bad your life is and how bad everything's going on. Um, he says, the only way you will find profit from complaining is to bring your complaints to God. Because He's the only one who can handle that. He's the only one who can answer it. And so, you know, you ask the question, where do you turn when you're under the discipline of God, when you're uh, burdened by the consequences of your sin, you're feeling mocked and rejected by men? David says, you, you turn to God. You cast your anxieties. You cast your burdens at His feet and trust Him to act. And then you do the thing that we all hate. You wait. He says, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It's you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Because we don't like to wait, right? Especially when we're in pain, when we're hurting. We want to be free from that pain now. We want to be saved now. When we want God to fix our problems now. When people are mocking us and, and condemning us, we want God to shut their mouths right now. <laughs> shut them up now. Don't let them keep doing that. Right? When, when we feel the burden of our sins, right? We sin, we've, we're facing the consequences. God, just fix it now. I don't want to have to deal with these consequences. Or even we feel the hand of God on our shoulder. Like, you can take your hand off. I know you can. Just do it now. Um, but David says... No, we, we have to wait. Um, that's like, even as we hate it, 
But that's like what it means to be part of God's people, to be a Christian, is to be a people who wait. You'll see it all throughout Scripture that God's people are told, you have to wait, you have to wait, you have to wait. And, and even with David, right, he's, he's feeling the discipline of God, he, he's feeling the consequences for his sin, he's feeling mocked and, and abandoned by people. He feels like he's about to die, he says at one point. I think I'm going to die. And even in that, he says, but I will wait. I'll wait for you, Lord. I'll wait to you, for you to act and to do. And, and the question is, how, how, can he, how can you wait when you think you're about to die? How can you wait when you feel like you're just holding on by a thread and you're about to fall off down the cliff? And he says, I will wait because I know that you are my God and you will answer. He has absolute confidence, absolute faith, absolute hope that even in the midst of this despairing situation, his God will answer. And he says, and therefore, I will wait until you answer. I know you might not answer when I want you to answer, but I know that you are my God and I know that you will answer and so I will wait. And, and as you go throughout this psalm, he, he He's like, I know it seems like you're not listening, God, but I know you're listening. So I'm going to keep praying. And God, I know it seems like you're, you're far away, but I know you're not far away, so I'm going to keep waiting. I know it seems like you've left me and forsaken me, but I, I know that's not true. I know you've, you'll never leave me nor forsake me, and so I will wait. And I'll wait for you to answer in your perfect timing. Which is why he ends with such, this, such a powerful statement. He says, make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. He says make haste to help me because he thinks he's about to die. Like, Lord, I don't know if I can take another step. I don't know if I can take another breath. I just don't know. You, I need you now. Come. Make haste. Come and save me. But I know that you are the God of my salvation. So I'm still going to wait. <laughs> and I'm going to wait for you to come and save me. I'm going to wait for you to come and answer my prayers. And I'm going to wait in faith because I know who you are, God. You know, and, and as I think about this psalm in the midst of Advent, I think I, I can really see, now this is all speculation, but I'm assuming God's people have prayed the Psalms since they were written. I'm assuming people you know, leading up to Jesus' birth were feeling this way and were praying these Psalms. Um, because I do think, just by looking at the story, like I think God's people were under his discipline leading up to Jesus' coming. They, they hadn't sent, God hadn't sent a prophet to them for 400 years. And they knew that was a sign of discipline. God said, fine, you're going to reject me? Have it your way for a little while. So for 400 years, they hadn't heard from God, and so they were feeling the heavy hand of God's discipline on them. And on top of that, I think, well, obviously God's disciplining them because of their own rebellion, right? I mean, the whole reason the Pharisees became a thing was because God's people had wandered so far away. The Pharisees were like, well, we got to rise up and show people how to live holy and righteous. And so they were suffering under the consequences of their sin. And on top of all that, they had the Romans who were mocking them and rejecting them. And kind of through all of their actions and words, they were saying, where's your God going to save you now? What kind of God's going to save you from the Romans? 
how do they respond in that? I mean, now I, I run into people on, on a regular basis that could pray Psalm 38 right now. I've talked to probably three or four people just from our church this past week who I'm like, go to Psalm 38. I bet that will give you some words to, to explain how you're feeling right now. Um, they feel like God's, uh, people feel like God's arrows are stuck into them. They feel his heavy hand upon them. They feel like they've got no strength in their bones or their body. Like they can't speak. They can't hear. They're just weak and weary and don't know where to turn. They feel like they're drowning in a sea of their own sin and failure. They feel attacked from people around them. They feel abandoned by people who love them. How do you respond? How are God's people supposed to respond when we do that? And uh, three ways, especially now that Christ has come, we're reminded the first thing we have to do, we have to find our rest in Jesus Christ. Especially when we find, I mean, and in any of these ways, we have to find our rest in Christ who died for us, died to forgive our sins, died to remove the wrath of God from us, died to give life to our weak and weary bodies. Unless we, unless we start here, we miss everything else. If you just bring your complaints to God without resting in Christ, you will not find no benefit from that. Um, we have to rest in Christ. Um, you rest in Christ when you're under the discipline of God because you know He won't crush you because your sins have been forgiven. Right? You rest in Christ when you're dealing with the consequences of your sin, knowing again that He will not, He has bore the wrath of God for your sins. You will not bear the full brunt of the consequences of your sin. You rest in God when other people mock you for your sin and be like, oh, you call yourself a Christian and you act and talk like that? You go, yeah. And I rest in my God who has died to forgive that sin. You rest in Him in the midst of all of that. And then you bring your prayers and anxieties and your burdens to God. As you rest in Christ, you come to your God and you say, here I am. I've messed up. I've screwed up. I'm weak. I'm weary. I've been crying. You know, my bed is wet with tears, you read in the psalm. I mean, I, I don't have anything left. I can hardly get out of bed. But Lord, here I am. And you just lay it all out before him and trust in him because he's the God of your salvation. And he will hear you and he will answer you. And then you wait. And that's the hardest part, isn't it? You keep bringing your prayers to God. You keep resting in Jesus Christ. And you keep waiting for God to come and to answer your prayer. For God to come and lift you out of the pit. For God to come and give life to your mortal bodies. For God to come and help you to feel the peace and comfort of His forgiveness of your sins. You wait and you wait because you know that He will do it in His time. Not in your time, but in His perfect timing, God will answer and He will bring salvation. And, and it's a reminder for us as not only we're, we're in the season of Advent where we look forward to the, the first coming of Christ, but now we're in this next portion of history where we're looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And as we wait for that, we're reminded that all of the prayers that we're praying now will be answered in a, in a way here, but they will be answered fully and completely when Christ comes again and we enter the new heavens and the new earth.
Like, you will not feel God's discipline in the new heavens and the new earth because sin will be no more. And you will spend eternity not feeling the discipline of the Lord, but feeling his grace and mercy and kindness poured out on you. You'll feel a very different hand upon you than the hand of discipline. Um, You won't have to suffer from the consequences of your sin when he comes again because sin will be gone. It will be no more for God's people. Um, And you won't have to deal with enemies of God mocking you because God will come and he will trample them under his feet. And they will bear the wrath of God. But that day is not here yet. We long for it. We look forward to it and hope. Um, but we wait. Um, and that's what this whole season is about. And as we wait in this life, we rest in Jesus Christ and his forgiveness in our lives. We, we take our anxieties and burdens. We throw them upon God's feet because we know he's the only one who can do anything about them anyways. And then we wait in faith for God to answer because he will answer because he's the God of our salvation. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you're our God. And we're so thankful for the ways that you have revealed yourself to us through your word, that that we can see your faithfulness to your people from ages past. We can look back thousands and thousands of years and see you walking faithfully with your people through the valley of the shadow of death. And we know that you will still continue to walk with us now through the valley of the shadow of death. Father, we're thankful for those reminders. And yet, Father, we we come to you and confess that we are an impatient people. And we often try to take things into our own hands, try to deal with them in our own strength, and turn away from you, and, and we know it's foolishness, and yet we do it anyways. And so, Father, we just we ask your forgiveness for that. We ask that you would forgive our arrogance in trying to do it on our own. We pray that we ask that you would forgive our impatience for not waiting on you. And Father, we thank you that we can rest in that forgiveness, that you will offer it to us, and you will cleanse us, and you will renew us. And Father, we ask that your spirit would, would move in us anew and, and help us to learn how to, how to rest in Jesus Christ more fully. Help us learn how to cast our anxieties and burdens on you more fully and help give us the fruit of the, pa- the, fruit of the spirit, which is patience. That, the, that, the, that your spirit would help us to wait in this life as we remember the first coming of your son and as we long and wait for the second coming of your son. And all God's people said,